The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. In celebration of their newly launched WCI newsstand platform, Wing Chun Illustrated is giving listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast a free one-month all-access subscription. Go to wcinewsstand.com and click the register button in the upper right corner. Use voucher code FREE4U. That's F-R-E-E, the number four, and the letter U, all caps. Don't forget to activate your account by clicking the link in the welcome message. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey Alex, how are you, brother? Good man, doing really good. Uh, how, how have you been holding up uh, working from home still, I assume, right? Yeah, working from home probably at least for another month, I would think. Uh, do, you and, know, uh, do you know what phase your business is in, or are they just going to keep you at home, or how does that work? Well, they told us that they're not even going to entertain anybody going back into the office until after July 4th. And then after, after July 4th, they're going to um, put about 10% of the office back. And, um, and and slowly integrate us after that. So I I know with me, I'm, I'm probably at least a month and a half before I go back. Which, you know, trust me, I, I don't want to go back at all. So I'm, Sure, yeah, you're probably not, I, you're not missing that commute at all. <laughs> that, that, that commute's a killer, and I, I kind of like working from home, I do. Yeah. I mean, it's tough in some ways, but I don't miss that, that hour and a half, two hour commute each way. Yeah, we've been not at all. We we've been prepping the school slowly for you know this reopening, which we, we still don't know the exact date, but we have like the floors are marked out for all the social distancing, and um, we have like lots of protocols and things that we we've kind of set up at the school. So yeah, interesting to get you know people back and get get some semblance of of normalcy after all this you know online training as good as it is i mean the students definitely they're all up on all the theoretical topics and they're probably really good at doing simultaneous actions and footwork and whatever we can do like that's not actually in contact sure but everyone is kind of itching to actually you know get back and get some kind of semblance of you know normalcy in their lives again right and your school is such a uh i don't want to say i it's such a, it's, I don't want to say a hangout place, but your school is such a place where people are welcome to just go and train the students that it's, you know, they must be missing out on that aspect of their life, yeah, you know? that for sure, for sure. And we also now, even moving back, we have to, like, uh, we're going to be using an app where the students have to uh, basically... Uh, sign up to take the class in the evening because we have a limited number of people who are allowed in the class and so basically students will have to sign up and then it's kind of like when the class is done they got to leave and that's really weird because like you said like people just you know what what i love about my school is like it's just kind of open most of the day and the students kind of come and go as they please and like an hour two hours before class they're already in there hitting heavy bags or training with each other and at the end of the night I basically always have to kick people out of there which I love it's like all right guys we got to go we got to close up and I always like that feeling of like people can just kind of the students can stay and train as much as they want 
And it's going to be weird to kind of be like, all right, well, you guys actually need to go now because the second wave of students are coming and we need to sanitize all the touch surfaces before they come in, you know. All so right, it's sure, like a, sure. It's a totally new thing now, yeah. It's a different world, man. It's, uh, it's a different world. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of different world, we were talking right before um, before we went on the air about uh, old Kung Fu magazines and stuff. And, and Kung, Fu tai yes. Chi, Kung Fu Tai Chi magazine is uh, no longer making Black Belt magazine, I guess, the last American martial arts publication to still be in circulation. Yeah. Which is- yeah, you know, that's that's amazing. It's uh, it was always the, uh, the, the the grand dam of magazines. Yeah, it is interesting because Black Belt, uh, at least as I understood, was kind of the first and kind of the most prominent. And then you had Inside Kung Fu. And then in the 80s, we were talking about Kick and a few of these other ones. And then Kung Fu Tai Chi. And then Black Belt, still the one standing, right? It's super interesting. Yeah, I guess it goes to show you that a lot of it comes down to, you know, reputation. And I mean, I'm sure it's quality publication. I have not looked at it in a long time. But uh, it, it was always, you know, I guess it, it's it swung with the, with the winds in some ways. There was the whole ninja craze. There yes. was the MMA craze. There was, you know, the Bruce Lee. And it, and it kind of it kind of bent, like, a little bit to each way. Yeah. But it, it never went full-on ninja. never went full-on MMA. Yes. You know what I mean? It, it always had, what I always liked about it, like, when every other magazine, like, was switching to, like, almost full-on ninja, like, they still had, like, their basic... Karate Shotokan articles and had some kung fu articles in there. Right, like it, it it would it would feature what I guess would get people to buy the magazine. Yeah, but it would but it it still held on to its its core values, its core principles, and and featured many different arts and. Right, and I I think that know. was kind of its luck too, being like Black Belt magazine. It's kind of a bit of a generic kind of moniker. And it could be a magazine that featured karate and taekwondo and jujitsu and kung fu and all this kind of stuff. Whereas, Inside Kung Fu is, you know, if there's a, there, there's not going to be a karate guy in the cover of Inside Kung Fu, right? And and right, sure. And the judo magazine, same thing. And like, so I think, I think the specialty magazines that were like more about this one particular style or that, those are the ones that probably were guaranteed to fade out and black belt being more of a just general martial arts magazine was able to yeah like you said kind of bend with the winds a little bit and and kind of you know show what people want and yeah the old, and remember the old ones how thick they were they had like a spine oh yeah and uh, you know the recently those kind of magazines are kind of very thin and it's just not the same i really miss those old magazines and and here's one thing you can you're gonna have a lot of fun making fun of I'm such an old man now. The last time I held a magazine, we, we get a subscription to Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. It's My wife loves the magazine, Entertainment Weekly. And I'm in the kitchen one day, and I see the article. There was a, an article about the Sherlock Holmes movies. And I pick up the magazine, and my eyes are shot. And I can't, like, read the, the article. Because it was like, it was the, the, the print was printed over, like, a, a picture. So it wasn't clear, like it wasn't, and I take my fingers and I try to like do the pinch and wide like you would on a screen. Oh, man. A, <laughs> <laughs> like, you, like on the iPad, you can kind of like 
make the text a lot larger so you can read? Yeah, you're just not used to that anymore. What is this old school printed nonsense? And I tried to do it to the magazine. That and man, so I felt like an idiot. You were like the second person that popped into my head. Saying, man, I better never tell Alex this story. <laughs> my daughters always try to go up to like our regular TV and try to like touch screen. It's like, no, 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 that's not a touch screen. And there was a, somebody sent me on Instagram the other day. Uh, yeah, what's up with old people like you and technology? So there was like a dry, there was, there was a Starbucks dry. I love, <laughs> too bad people only hear our podcast because the look on your face just in that moment was priceless. Just to see you go like, wait, did he just call me old? <laughs> there was like some older lady in, um, in a Starbucks drive through right? But she wasn't in her car, which was strange. And you know how, like, when you go through a drive-through, you have the menu, and then you have, you know, the the microphone. But sometimes, yeah. if there's a, a a long line before, then they'll have some signs to kind of get you ready. Well, there was like right. a sign before the menu, and the sign was a cardboard cutout of uh, of a uh, like an Apple, like a iPhone, right? And it said you could place your order in advance. Um, and then you just got to pick it up at Starbucks, right? And there was this lady going up to this cardboard uh, depiction of an iPhone trying to, to tap on it and trying to – and it's like so clearly like a cardboard phone. <laughs> right, sure, sure. And trying to make it – like trying to turn it on. It's just ridiculous. Like we, we, are not, we are not moving forward as a society in terms of relative intelligence. <laughs> that, that's pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny. Like the guys I work with are even worse than me. And in my industry, everybody is so high tech. But I work in a, I work in a, in a group. There's three of us. I'm the new guy on the desk. Okay, and I'm there 35 years. <laughs> so there's three of us on the desk. I'm the new guy. That sometimes they still say, "Hey, new guy." And, and like one of one of the guys is so adverse to technology, like. I mean, he's a—he's a great dude, and he's so—he's so intelligent when it comes to like finance and rates and predictions, and he's so ridiculously intelligent. But when it comes to technology, he has no idea. Right. To the point where, like, say, like one day he—he he gets a, a file emailed to him with a PDF attachment, and he sent it to me, and he was supposed to send it to a a, a group. So he turns around to me and he says. Hey, could you send that back to me? I sent it to you by mistake. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, I emailed you the PDF, the pricing PDF. Can you send it back so I can send it out to everybody else? Oh, my sweet Jesus. I'm like, you still have it. It's on your email. He goes, no, I don't. I sent it to you. <laughs> like it's a package. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I know you sent it to me. But when you send it to me, you still have it. Right. He goes, what part of I sent it to you don't you fucking get? Just send it back. And I'm like, sure, no problem. Uh-huh. And like I hit reply to author and I sent him back the PDF for him to. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't send him, don't show him the sent mail folder. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it's just so awesome. That's crazy. Um, yeah, by the way, for, you know, we're, we're teaching, like, obviously, throughout this quarantine thing, teaching our classes on Zoom. 
and occasionally give my students some challenges to you know try out and so we have a new one this week and I thought maybe like the dudes listeners might want to try it maybe they want to post a video of themselves doing it so um, at least if they practice Wing Chun so you know in um, in Wing Chun we have a single-legged Siunam Tao practice right um, where basically you do the Siunam Tao while standing on one leg and uh, th- which is already quite challenging enough for most people uh, so there's an even more difficult challenge, and that challenge is to do the single-legged Siunam Tao while blindfolded, because the, the moment you take your, your eyes out of the equation, balance becomes a very, very tricky thing, because so much of our balance is not just you know, going through our ear canal, and it's actually what we see. So uh, it's remarkably difficult. So like for example even someone who has no problem doing the single leg siyunam tao from beginning to end rock solid stance your foot is waist high um not gonna waver put a blindfold on that person and they sometimes cannot even make it to the the first tanso in 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 the in that first part because uh it, it is incredibly difficult so i told my students this is basically their challenge uh, and to be honest i've actually never completed it myself now i haven't like i haven't gone to great pains to to really i haven't done a rocky montage of single leg siyunam tao with a blindfold on um but uh, i have tried it a few times and i never got through the whole form without my foot having to come down to the ground so i want to see if anyone out there can actually do it i'd be super excited if someone could um obviously we prefer to do it on both sides but if someone could get through it just on one side that would be quite remarkable without their foot touching the floor so uh i will invite dudes of kung fu uh listeners who practice wing chun and do the single leg siyunam tao to go ahead and try the uh blindfolded version now i recommend you do it blindfolded rather than closing your eyes because if you close your eyes that's like a lot of extra strain you have to focus on closing your eyes which makes it too difficult i think Uh, if you just put a blindfold on your eyes are taken out of the equation and you can put all of your focus into trying not to fall over (laughs) it's brutal it's really brutal (laughs) and we're back okay so after just talking about how old people fuck up technology i fucked up the recording (laughs) (laughs) can you believe it so that's that's the problem folks that that little weird clip thing that you just heard there that john's gonna try and make sound as good as possible was my fault I, i screwed up the recording somehow and we're having to piece this thing together at this point. Yeah, I was, so, te- I was uh, telling this amazing story, and then Sean is giving me this blank look, and I'm going like, hmm, maybe this ama- story isn't as great, <laughs> or may- or this punchline um, I just delivered isn't great, that he's like, oh, I'm not recording right now. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> So we're gonna oh, we're God. gonna try to we're gonna try to rebottle the magic. <laughs> well, it could be worse. I mean, I mean, there was one time I didn't record a whole episode. That was true. That was very early on, so that's okay. It's like you know, right at the beginning. You know, we that's a new, considered a noob mistake, right? <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Um, so uh, I believe uh, I uh, was talking about a, a Sunum Tao challenge. So as you know, like. We're teaching classes on Zoom. Obviously, we're all in quarantine. And so what I do is occasionally I like to have like a uh, challenge for my students, you know, to try out at home or something like that. And the uh, latest challenge is to do um, the Siyunam Tao form. As you know, there's a way to train it where you basically do it on one leg, and which is already difficult enough. And the 
the difficult challenge is to do that while blindfolded because it makes the balance extremely difficult. So as a matter of fact, I've actually never gone through an entire Sunum Tau form on one leg with a blindfold on without having to put my foot down like once. And it's extremely difficult. And even people who have a very good single leg Sunum Tau really struggle to do it. And I actually don't know anyone who can do it from beginning to end. Of course, I never trained it, you know, like I never did my Rocky montage to be able to do it, you know, maybe if I put my mind to it. But uh, it's kind of a casual uh, challenge I have for my students. So I thought maybe we'd ask the dudes of Kung Fu uh, listeners, uh, especially those of you who practice Wing Chun and have some version of the Siunam Tao on hand, to uh, do the single-legged Siunam Tao while blindfolded (laughs) all the way through now of course normally we do the single leg sunum tau one time right one time left because you got two legs but i would just be impressed if somebody could get through the whole thing once without having to put their foot down so um you know dudes listeners go ahead and film yourself uh doing the single leg sunum tau i recommend you use a blindfold rather than uh, closing your eyes one we don't know if you're cheating and two uh <laughs> if you have to keep your eyes closed that's a little extra focus that you have to pay to keeping your eyes closed as opposed to just doing the single leg sunum tau so it's actually um easier although it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination to do with a blindfold so single leg sunum tau while blindfolded that is my challenge for all the dudes listeners so um yes and now i remember what i was telling you when you started giving me that blank look i asked you uh if you knew what the single legs uh single leg stance was in chinese and uh because uh the late sifu moyat this was one of the uh, the sayings that he printed on those those chops that he made, and it's "kam gai toklap," which basically means the golden rooster stands on one leg. Because if you, you know, do the Wing Chun single leg stance, you're supposed to stand so upright so as to mimic that of a rooster. And it mentioned that it was translated once in in a Chinese book because "kam gai toklap" is not uh, specific to Wing Chun. It's, most of the southern styles use that same term when they talk about standing on one leg. But uh, sometimes these Chinese books are not translated by uh, uh, native English speakers, so they might use a poor choice of translation words. So the you know golden rooster you know stands mm-hmm. on one leg is sometimes translated as golden cock stands upright. <laughs> 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 and so you imagine skimming a kung fu book and seeing that in there, right? It's uh, it's uh, pretty uh, pretty off putting. <laughs> Oh my God, that's awesome! My 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 uh, blindfolded golden cock <laughs> standing upright. Don't forget the standing upright part. <laughs> standing upright. That's just that's just poetry, man. Yeah, Ch- poetry. Chinese doesn't always translate. Ex- I mean, uh, technically it's correct because a rooster, you know, a, a cock, right? But you would always be mindful of the word choice. You know, given context, right? It, it, so these are the things that could be, you know, that could be a little funny when when you uh, when these things get translated. Um, you, know, you know, it's so funny because you you speak you speak English and Asian, uh, English and um, and Asian and Chinese. <laughs> I, well, I know I was gonna say, I because I wanted to say Asian for something else. Um, English and an Asian language, which and you speak German as well, right? Yeah, I, I do, do speak, speak German. Yeah. So my dad spoke english german and vietnamese that's right that's right that's right wow wow another polyglot that's awesome that's amazing for for different reasons but uh yeah (laughs) that's awesome uh 
Hey, so I know you're not big in these kind of things, but you didn't have a you didn't happen to be able to check out that new Bruce Lee documentary, did you? I, I did not, but it's not for me being a a jerk. I actually want to and probably will watch it this weekend. I just you know I, I work a lot of hours and I I don't sure. have a lot of time during the week to watch things things that I want to pay attention to. Right. I don't watch during the week. Yes. And I want I want to pay attention to this. So. I was waiting for this weekend to watch it. I know there's been some up and some down, and I know you're going to speak about it, but uh, I know because sometimes I, I get the reputation of like, oh, Sean's the only Bruce Lee guy we know that doesn't watch, you know, only Sir Anthony Dragon once. <laughs> but um, but uh, I, I definitely want to watch it, I um, and, and we'll watch it this weekend. Yes, and to be fair, that reputation you get for being the Jeep Kundo guy that doesn't watch all the Bruce Lee stuff is partially because of me. <laughs> so uh, uh, about a, two weeks ago, I did uh, the podcast, uh, the Jeet Kundo Dialogues with uh, our mutual friend Sifu uh, Dwight Woods. And it ended up going really long. Normally he does about an hour, hour and a half, and he did two and a half hours. And I remember people were coming back going, you guys are still talking. And I had no yeah. idea how long it normally goes. But we definitely talked about... Uh, we definitely talked about those things. I, I'm, I'm, I think I had made a joke at some point where, you know, uh, it was funny that, you know, the G, uh, like the Wing Chun guy has to tell the Jeet Kune Do guy, um, no, that, that that movie where he's beaten up all the uh, Chinese guys or all the Japanese guys is not Way of the Dragon with Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. I mean, I'm more of a JKD guy than a Bruce Lee guy. I, yeah, it just it is. It's just true. Yeah, it's interesting because um, so there was a lot of hype about I mean, this documentary. Um, it's ESPN. It's technically a thirty for thirty, and those thirty for thirty documentaries are, you know, usually quite good. Um, I have to say, uh, I was brutally disappointed with this documentary. I mean, it was the first time I ever watched a Bruce Lee documentary where I felt bored. And I love Bruce Lee, mind you. I right. can, I can go on. I, in fact, before our podcast today. Uh, I was on YouTube watching a video of this collector of Bruce Lee photos who collected photos specifically from 1971 to 1973 of Bruce Lee while in Hong Kong and even put like where in Hong Kong the photos were taken on the set of what movie and all this kind of stuff. And I was so fascinated. And it's literally a video of Bruce Lee with other actors and like saying where those shots were taken. And I totally geek out about that. I almost fell asleep through this Be Water documentary. And I'm, I, I, I feel I don't need to qualify myself as a Bruce Lee geek. It was, it was, pr it was pretty crappy. I don't know. I don't really know other. That's other a shame. That really is it. a shame. Um, it, it's, you know, I mean, look, uh, I always feel like a bit, you know, like, those people who are really into stuff like Star Wars nerds, right? Or like Star right. Trek geeks or whatever. Like they, uh, they are into stuff at a level that even a casual Star Wars or Star Trek person is not that into it, right? Um, and I feel that sometimes when people ask me about the Yip Man movies or about things like this Bruce Lee documentary, I feel like maybe I'm not the person to tell them whether they should watch it or not because... Uh, at this point in my life, I think I've pretty much seen every piece of footage and photo that exists of Bruce Lee. Um, 
at least most of it. And I've heard as many takes from different people, you know, people from Guru Dan talking about Bruce Lee. I'll just listen to interviews of him talking about him to childhood friends of Bruce Lee who didn't even practice martial arts. Like I'll literally listen to all of it. And so when I watch these things, it comes from the fact that I've seen everything that's ever been put out about this man. And I think for casual, uh, there's a derogatory term for, you know, I watch a lot of these um, uh, YouTube channels where they do movie dissections and they call people who are just kind of casual fans, they call them normies. And so uh, I have a feeling like for Bruce Lee normies, they're going to love it because they haven't seen everything that I've seen. And for them, it's a lot of it is new. And uh, I feel the documentary spent a little wait, a little too much time on like the David Carradine Kung Fu thing. And, and it, it felt very superficial. Like it mm. kind of glossed over life events. It didn't go into any depth about his martial arts practice and how we revolutionized that, which is interesting. It didn't go into any depth about the films that he made in Hong Kong and the themes that were in those films. It, 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 it harped a lot, obviously, and what's very topical nowadays is, you know, things like uh, prejudice and all the, you know, what he had to deal with in Hollywood, which is any good Bruce Lee documentary is going to talk about that. But I felt sure. that it, it also missed the chance to really humanize him and properly contextualize him. And it just felt uh, superficial. All the, the guests who talked about Bruce Lee they had them only in audio dub, which was very strange. So, for example, if Guru Dan talked about Bruce Lee, you didn't see Guru Dan. You just heard his voice. When Kareem oh, talked that's... about Bruce, you only heard his voice. It was, it was really weird. And then, <clears throat> right, at, sure. And then at the end, they showed photos of Kareem. He, he held, they had all like the people who knew Bruce Lee hold a photo of them with Bruce Lee, which I thought was kind of nice. But I would have liked to have actually seen those people in the documentary. They had Angela in there, our good, our good friend Angela Mao. Uh, she was in there. Oh, that's nice. But uh, the reason why I think I was super disappointed is because I know someone who worked on this documentary and I talked to her two years ago while this thing was in production. And she told me the people that they had interviewed for this documentary. And I was blown away. I thought, wow, this is really going to be the best documentary ever about Bruce Lee because she mentioned names of people who knew Bruce Lee really well in the film circles and a lot of on the Hong Kong side and they didn't use any of it and it's very strange because the documentary didn't really talk a lot to Chinese people who knew Bruce Lee Angela Mao obviously her, her part was actually in Chinese because she doesn't really speak English so it was one of the few parts that was subtitled there were a couple other little bits in there but it seemed that for a documentary that was trying to talk about in fact, they even had a line in there that said, you know, uh, they, uh, part of the reason why he didn't get the Kung Fu TV series is because, you know, Hollywood execs had some um, uh, apprehensions because of his accent and, you know, him being having too much of a Chinese accent or something like that. Right. And it seems weird for a documentary that's trying to show that level of injustice literally wiped out all the Chinese voices that they interviewed that were going to talk about Bruce Lee. And it just seems very disingenuous. How, how come they didn't um, really, you know, have the interview with Lao Wing, you know, who, who was in a number of Bruce Lee films, as well as a number of other people in there. And so I felt that, you know, for a documentary that's trying to champion uh, Asian voices and, 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 and 
it, it cut out a lot of them. And, and I felt that it, it ended up being one of the most shoddy, one of the most shallow uh, documentaries ever. I, I would actually rate it the worst Bruce Lee documentary of all of them. Um, wow, that's really heartbreaking. That's yeah. That's yeah. He deserves so much more. But the normies He's such are going to be like, "What are you man. talking about? It was great." I'll tell you what, Sean. The ESPN documentary, given all that the money they had, they actually lifted stuff out of other Bruce Lee documentaries. So it's wow. so it wasn't like a fresh take on Bruce Lee. It, everything was very recycled. It was a and you know. I'm not in the Jeet Kune Do world, so I can say it. It was a puff piece for the Lee estate. And, and so it, it, you just see it all the way through. The one thing that was interesting is it had an audio interview with Amy Sanbo, who was Bruce Lee's first girlfriend in Seattle, a Japanese woman. And you barely even can find a photo of her in the Internet. And they actually had an audio interview with Bruce Lee's, the girl that Bruce Lee pursued before he even met Linda. And, and, the, and that, you know, for Bruce, so I would say the only thing as a Bruce Lee fan where I kind of geeked out was hearing Amy Sambo talk because I'd read about her but never heard her say anything. And so that was literally the only new thing they had in there. And, you know, there are so many people they could have talked to which could have given fresh perspectives on Bruce. Man, I would, I just, I'd pay to watch Steve Golden talk about Bruce Lee for an hour. Uh, over over what they ended up showing in um, in this documentary, it was just um, you know, and and I guess not not to be a Debbie Downer, but if people really want a good Bruce Lee documentary, um, well, the very best Bruce Lee documentary is not available publicly. Um, it's only available at the Hong Kong Heritage Museum Bruce Lee exhibit, which is closing this year. I hope when they close that exhibit, they will release that documentary to the public because. In my opinion, it is bar none the best Bruce Lee documentary. They talk to everyone. I mean, you know, Linda, Shannon, all the, you know, Guru Dan, all the usual suspects are in there. But they have lots of <laughs> interviews with childhood friends of Bruce Lee, people in the movie world, and people who also just knew him casually, not as students or anything else. And it's one of the most heartfelt documentaries. And when it talks about his death at the end, I'll tell you what, Sean. You always know how all Bruce Lee documentaries end. They end with him dying prematurely. I saw this Bruce Lee documentary in Hong Kong three times in the last seven years when I went to Hong Kong. I, 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 I'll admit it. I, I literally teared up all three times I saw the end of this documentary. Wow. It's so well done because you hear the anguish of Bruce Lee's friends. That's impressive because you're a hollow as fuck. So. Yes, exactly. I, 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 I only cry at Disney movies <laughs> that I watch with my daughters. Uh, but because this, the documentary is told from such a heartfelt place, when they're telling like the events on the day that he died and Raymond Chow is talking about it, other people are talking about it, you kind of feel it and you feel it puts you what it was like to be there in that moment. And uh, it, it's tremendous. And so I hope that when the, that exhibit closes this year, I hope that they release it. But because um, that one is by far the best one. It's just that you nobody can see it right now. The other one, obviously, uh, uh, Warrior's Journey, which is a little bit more about his uh, Game of Death cut, uh, the, the, his vision of Game of Death. And but even the old documentary, Bruce Lee, the legends, um, De even Death by Misadventure, um, those are all far superior documentaries with a lot more heart and a lot more soul. You know, not as fancy as the ESPN one, but a lot better. So um, I don't know. 
be interesting to see what our dudes our <coughs> dudes of kung fu listeners think about it so um you know i might have a very harsh take because you know to quote bruce lee <clears throat> to quote myself as bruce lee Bruce Lee has a very deep meaning as far as my life is concerned, right? And so I, I, I don't I don't like it when Bruce Lee is done horribly. Even the last documentary, I Am Bruce Lee, which they did a few years ago, I thought that was terrible. I just feel that the, all the new Bruce Lee stuff is just not good anymore. The older stuff was way better. So anyway, it's all I got to say about that. <laughs> so, dude, so dudes of Kung Fu fans out there, here's what we want from you. We want you to come onto, the, onto our website, our... Facebook page, and let us know two things. What was your opinion of of the ESPN show, and what was your what is and was your favorite Bruce Lee documentary? And the third thing would be I'd love to hear if you were going to see the ideal Bruce Lee documentary, what should it focus on? So like you know, for me, a guy like me, I'm not I'm not a movie guy. Not that I don't care about the racism that he faced. I do. It's so important. But it's something I've heard about my whole life. I understand. I I really would I would love to see a documentary on his growth as a martial artist, not as an actor, not in the movies. I don't care a fuck about Raymond Chow. I just I want to know. I want to see his progression from learning Tai Chi as a young man from his father to 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 the boxing to the Wing Chun to you know interview his students. Really give us a good grasp. Of where he was, where he was going by what he would did, right? You know, and to take all the JKD politics out of it, people could just speak to their own experience. When I was with Bruce, I did this with him. Yes, and it would be wonderful to see that put into a uh, into a into a nice timeline, so that we could say, okay, you know what, this is what Brucey was doing, as and not just take one person's word for it, right? You know what I mean? Like that that's that's the Bruce Lee documentary I want to see. Yeah. I want to see a Bruce Lee documentary that focuses solely on his growth as a martial artist. Everything else to me while is important and and interesting, it's not my focus. My focus is on his martial arts. Yeah. I want to see that. I want to know in in I mean everybody can say like oh what year did he switch from more of a Wing Chun base to more of a Boxing based to more of a fencing based um, structure. I want I want to see that played out with the people that were there with him, mm-hmm. and ask him, "Hey, Bruce, why are we doing it different today?" Right. You know, if guys that know me a long time have suffered through so many changes. If you talk to like um, Seth McCollum and Chris Kennedy and these guys, they they they've they've been with me when it was almost straight. Bruce Lee, JKD, to Heavy Wing Chun, to um, Combat Athletics, MMA, you know, back to Heavy Wing Chun, Heavy JKD. They can they can show you what, where, what I was doing when I was doing it, what remained as a core throughout the whole time, mm-hmm. and what, what added and came away, and what, what was I playing with. And they can all tell you this. Uh, and I'd love to see that with with Bruce Lee. Yeah. That like, oh yeah, even though he stepped away from Wing Chun, we still had this. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Like we, even though I stepped away from a lot of the JKD for a while and the Wing Chun when I was doing the MMA, there was still still always a focus on 
dissonance timing rhythm and five ways of attack that right. never left mm -hmm. so in my mind while I may have stepped away from JKD and that I wasn't doing a straight lead and you know calling my techniques by their Chinese names and things to that effect and doing the quote unquote classical or traditional Jeet Kune Do drills I was sticking with the idea of controlling distance timing and rhythm and the five ways of attack mm -hmm. which to me is the core of JKD so I never really stepped away from JKD when I was doing MMA I was just kind of called at something different mm -hmm. and I'd love to again not take this not take this and make it about me but make it about Bruce Lee I want to know that with Bruce Lee I want to know when he was changing over what was he hesitant to change on mm -hmm. you know would, did he ever express to somebody you know I mean he, Dan Inosanto was a, such a great friend of his I'm, I would love to know like in their conversations with in their conversations with Bruce did he ever like say things to the effect and I'm sure he did yeah you know Dan I want to do this but I just can't pull away from that or I, I'm so sick of this but I do it because people want to see it like 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 what what were his loves and likes and hatreds and internal, what was he tired internal, of internal struggles in his mind perfect word for it what was his internal struggles with the change right. you know did he feel like he had to do certain things because of the acting that he would have spent absolutely no time on I'm sure with the high kicking maybe that was the case but like right. you know I'm, I'm, I wonder like if he didn't get so far into the acting and and had a if he didn't go into acting and said it said to himself at some point in his life you know what the hell with the acting I'm gonna go for the whole chain of Bruce Lee schools like I envisioned once right what what would that have looked like mm -hmm. yes you know like that what martial art would have been there mm -hmm. you know what, what would have been the focus what would you know what was the focus on at some point like if you talk to all the guys that train with him the ones that are still here in 1966, what was he doing? In 1967, what was he doing? Right. You know what I mean? That that would that's where I would be amazed to to see. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. I think that the martial arts side would love to see that kind of you know that development in you know how, how he kind of went from here to here and what was going on during this time and how this thing evolved. Um, I actually completely agree with you. I think you know, like you say. For example, you have a lot less interest in people like Raymond Chow and that kind of whole time period. For me, I, I've, I view Bruce Lee as like my ongoing archaeology project. And so right. I, I've, I've read all the books and I feel that, okay, maybe this is in his Jeet Kune Do development. Like I read Jesse Glover's books and James DeMille's books and the stuff that come from the Oakland people and the stuff that come from the L.A. people and stuff. And then obviously I read Bruce Lee's notes and stuff, all the stuff that they publish. And you kind of like have a loose idea, right, of some kind right. of thread. But it's it's like you, you got to put it together the way an archaeologist has to kind of put it together. But for me, I realized that it's impossible to get a very uh, uh, a very strong take on him as a martial artist if at least for me, if I didn't know about all the people who are around him all the time, because we are so influenced by the people that we're around. And uh, that's why, like, I, I, I tend to go off on, like, his weird childhood friends, uh, like people like, you know, who are into his Jeet Kune Do stuff, you know, might be like, well, why, why do you care about, um, 
you know, like uh, uh, Robert Chan and all these guys. Well, because that was a childhood friend of his who practiced martial arts and Bruce brought him to to meet Grandmaster Yip Man and they took photos together and then he later put him in Way of the Dragon. So there has to be something about Robert Chan that's linked to Bruce Lee's martial arts development because he was hanging out with Bruce while Bruce was training with Grandmaster Yip Man, but that guy wasn't doing Wing Chun. So I want to know all about Robert Chan and like who he is. So so I, I kind of like kind of come around from the back way. Like for example, uh, Bruce learned those fancy styles in Hong Kong shortly before he came to the States because Hawkins Chung kind of made fun of Bruce, said, how are you going to teach Kung Fu in the U.S.? You don't even know that much. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, 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 and Bruce said, well, you know, maybe I'll go to Uncle Siu and learn some styles that I can teach when I'm in the States. And Uncle Siu is uh, uh, someone who is a, a movie guy that he knew through his father. And, and his full name was Siu Hon San. And Siu Hon San was a master of these very traditional styles. So, you know, when Bruce Lee does his famous screen test, you know, he goes like, this, yeah. is, a, this is a crane fall. Right. And uh, all of that is stuff that he learned from Suhan San. And, and so he learned that specifically from this guy. And then, of course, when I'm like, oh, that thing that he did in the screen test, he learned from Suhan San. I want to know who Suhan San is. And then I'll go down a rabbit hole and find out all about this guy to figure out what else Bruce might have been able to get from him. And, you know, what's really interesting he taught Bruce a handful of forms that Bruce learned very quickly. And in uh, uh, in trade, Bruce was supposed to teach him his cha-cha steps. But it ended up that Siu Hon San taught Bruce Lee all these styles, and Bruce never taught him the cha-cha and then literally left. And so Siu Hon San would always tell the story that Bruce was so talented in mimicking the movements, he realized that Bruce had learned all these things probably with no intention of teaching him cha-cha. But it was like, yeah, yeah, later I'll teach it to you. Just show me one more, show me one more. Interesting thing, in addition to this kind of these crane styles and these kind of fancy looking forms that he learned, Bruce also learned two forms from Siu Hon San. One was called Gong Lek Kun, which is a kind of a martial uh, mogong internal, not, not internal practice, but a, a form for strengthening your body. The other form he learned from Siu Hon San was called Jit Kun. Kun, right. And so you go like, oh, wait a minute, there's a traditional Kung Fu form called Jit Kun. Not jit kun do, uh, and it literally means the stopping fist, right? And so then you go, well, that's very clear, uh, an influence in why he later called his own style jit kun do, right? And also interested why he used do at the end of his style because that is a very uh, Japanese thing to do, you know, um, using that term do or tao to meaning way is way more of a Japanese thing. Think of judo. You know, karate do, like the way of, right? Uh, it's not a very Chinese thing, yet he actually ended up appending. Uh, it's a Chinese word, I mean, because the Japanese have it from the Chinese, but the Chinese normally don't use it for the name of a martial arts style. So those are all the things that I like to like look in his notes and then see who he learned from. And then I like to like put these things together because uh, the Chinese stuff is not as easily available as, you know, the stuff from the States that we know. So that's why I'm always geeking out about that kind of stuff and, and trying to put something together out of it. Yo, that stuff there that you just mentioned is spot on what I would love to know. Yeah. Like, I would I, I would be riveted to that. Like, you know, uh, what you just explained, I would be riveted to. You know, his his movie contract with Raymond Chow, I couldn't give a shit. But, like, that I would love. You know, I, I've, like, I've, I've seen that tape of his audition a hundred times. 
and I, and I yeah. you know, I didn't know where he learned that from, and I always had yeah. a little interest in where he learned that from, and yeah. did he learn it? Did he learn it for the sole purpose of why he used it yeah. for the audition, or was he looking for something? You know, was he looking to at some point in his life? Hey, maybe I should add a form or two. Right. You know, like who who knows? Who knows what he was? The the, the, who the, knows Chi- the, the the Chinese have a term it's called jiapkun, which means mixed fist. And so the, what I understood is he wanted to learn a bunch of mixed fists so that because he knew, I think, inherently he could convince Westerners on the strength of his Wing Chun that he had something he could teach them for fighting. But he was perhaps worried in terms of the quantity of the things that he knew. So he wanted to kind of stuff these things in there so he could kind of show them. And oddly enough, he ended up always using them for demonstration. In the States, he would say, look at this. And people would go, oh, that's amazing. And say, that's a bunch of shit. It doesn't work. Now I'm going to show you the real thing, which is why he got in trouble with Wong Jackman's people, because he basically did that demonstration where he showed that form. And that was the same form that Wong Jackman's people actually did. And perhaps Bruce demonstrated even slightly better than they did. And then he goes, yeah, that's a bunch of nonsense, right? It's like you perform a, a, an amazing feat and then you go, just kidding. <laughs> but he still did it, right? <laughs> which is like the I, height of arrogance, which I think is so great. <laughs> which brings me, I, I got to tell a quick story. One time Steve Golden sends me a video of a stick seminar he did. And the first half of the seminar is him showing all these, like, uh, cool, fancy disarms. Mm-hmm. You know, they, someone comes out of angle one, you do this disarm. Angle two does the disarm. And it's more stuff like that. All this, like, a lot of fancy collie type stuff. And the second half of the seminar was him explaining why everything in the first half of the seminar was bullshit. <laughs> and didn't work. <laughs> That's awesome. and, and, and here's how you do really do it. So first he show these people how to do everything. These like fancy shit. And then show them why it needed to be simplified. Right. Why it needed to be streamlined and powerful and and and, and, and Jeet Kune Do about it. Right. Which right. is just fucking awesome. I just he's awesome. He's <laughs> awesome. Sad. I love shit like that. I yeah, love arrogant awesome. bullshit. That's awesome. <laughs> People who deconstruct stuff I think is also great. It's such a smart teaching tactic. You know, yeah, it's super awesome. Super awesome. Um <clears throat> we had a topic tonight, right? Yeah, so um recently I uh been speaking to some people over Skype on the um, like high on high level high level you can do so basically somebody contacted me who was a regular listener of the, of the podcast and said that you know more than once I've heard you refer to a high level jikendo strategy can I take some Skype lessons from you in um, in in some JKD high level strategies. And uh, we did a heavy negotiation on the price. That's a joke. <laughs> and um, so yeah, so I did it, and we had we had a couple couple we had a couple great conversations. And one of one of the conversations kind of was almost like as a side question. He asked me, "Where do you look when you fight?" And it's such a profound question that. It's, it's, it's a topic that is not looked at a lot. It's not taught, I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, he asked me, like, you know, do you, do you track, do you, do you stare at a person's face? Do you stare at their chin? 
Do you see? Because he's I've, I've served so many things. Not that I'm asking you, Sean, what the right answer is, but what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I tend to look middle of the chest when I and I and I kind of a long time ago learned this idea, and I learned it, believe it or not, through football. And playing football, it was it was don't look at the feet, don't look at the hands, kind of look at the center of the chest, and see if you could almost blur out everything else other than the center of the chest. And deal with deal with your man that way, and and I look at martial arts the same way. Now, if you're gonna track anything, like are you gonna never try and track the hands and the feet? Because the hands and the feet, you're gonna just lose a lot. But I do like kind of kind of sort of concentrating and understanding how people move their elbows and their knees. Elbows and knees move a lot slower than hands and feet. And once you understand the path that a, a weapon can take, when I say a punch or kick, when you understand how to track the elbows and the, and, and the knees, what's, what's left from the elbow to the knee, from, from the elbow to the fist, from the knee to the foot, is so much easier to control. If you just concentrate on the elbows, concentrate on the knees, you, you got the body. Look at the hips. Like, you know, if, so if you're going to actually look at what you're doing, don't look at an opponent's face because, one, I, I never want to look at my opponent's face for several reasons. One of which is I don't want to give a guy any credit whatsoever for looking scary. You know what? It sounds stupid, but we're all human beings. And I know myself, I've gone up against guys that just look like they got to rip your fucking head off. And you know what? Why let them have two steps ahead of me psychologically? So I won't even acknowledge their face. I don't want to look at their face. I don't care how ugly they are. You know, I, I kind of like, like this idea of just like looking at the chest, looking at the hips, tracking the elbows, tracking the knees. But the conversation led us to another dimension in fighting that, that, that I speak about a lot in combat athletics. This idea of where you're looking is one of the major differences between combat athletics and street fighting. Um, you know, I always talk about like, oh, combat athletics is the best thing in the world for street fighting, and I still believe it is. But there are aspects to street fighting that are just not covered in combat athletics. And one of those is this idea of environmental awareness. If I'm sparring a, another student in Alex's school, I don't have to worry about someone else jumping in and hitting me in the head. I don't have to worry about tripping over a curb in the street or someone there being a bottle on the floor and someone picking up a bottle and smacking me in the side of my head when I'm in Alex's school. Maybe in Alex's car, but but like, you know, if I'm sparring with my 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 students, my fellow students, I, I don't have to worry about this uh, this environmental awareness that is absolutely uh, part of a street fighting uh, situation. I mean, you know, Alex can tell you, you know, if you're on 6th Avenue in, in Manhattan, while it's very nice, there there is trash cans where there is bottles and people can pick something up and hit you with it. You know, it's just something you have to be aware of, you know. You, you have to worry about getting chased between two cars. It's just something about a situational awareness that you need to have 
when it comes to dealing with a street fight as opposed to a combat athletic fight. So when you look, when you're focusing on where you should look at um, in a sparring situation, I strongly suggest middle of the chest, hips, elbows, knees, that kind of situation. But when we're taking it outside of that realm of a, a sparring match or, or, or combat athletics, you kind of have to expand your th- expand how you see things and look to look to peripher- peripheral vision. I know I'm probably saying that wrong, but the peripheral vision as to what's going on around you, what pre- what can present an issue around you. I had someone once tell me that. Um, he was a cop and he was training us. I was an auxiliary cop for a long time. And one of my first training in street self-defense with the police department was the, 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 the training officer said to me, me, he said to us, when you glance, if you, if you think you're going to have to engage and you're always going to have to engage, a glance around where you are to just understand what could go wrong. So, if you were like in a in a store, and you have you're gonna have to lock a guy up, and you know while you're talking to the guy, you're kind of looking around. Okay, if I have to fight, all right, there's a whole bunch of stuff right there he could use as a weapon. I gotta keep him out of this corner. Oh, those two guys over there may be his friends. I have to make sure that they they if they start moving on me, I gotta turn. Like. You, while you're glancing around, you kind of have to take note. And this is stuff you just don't have, you don't have to do in sparring. But it all kind of falls under the realm of where do you look when you're fighting? You know, it's... it's And it's tough to train, you know. Um, it's not something I even expect most schools to cover because it's so obscure and rare. And But it is something, it is something to have a good conversation about. Um... And I would have never known about it had it was not were it not for the police department, you know, um, where as, as an auxiliary cop, we would, you know, like we were told, like, okay, you have to understand what what could you trip over, what what could be picked up and used as a weapon, and the, and and also to the point where you didn't want to make a thing like looking at something on the floor and say, oh shit, that could be used as a weapon, because you don't want to draw anybody's attention to it, you know. Right. <laughs> so like you'll you'll see guys walk over and like kick kick something out of the way. While they're talking to someone in the street, because they know, like, they don't want to get picked up. Right. So it's just something. It's something for for people to, to think about. Like, um, what what can you what what can you look at? What kind of glancing should you? I don't know the right way of saying it, Alex. What? what how can you develop the skill of glancing around? And understanding your environment and what could be used against you in an emergency without sounding like someone who's paranoid because you know you know people take that to a level of paranoia which is ridiculous yeah but if 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 a situation starts to look bad like something could happen right it's a good skill to have yeah you know this this idea of understanding what could be used against you and what kind of you know Environment, environmental um, awareness, awareness, and, and, and that you're going to run into. You know, like um, as the son of a firefighter, to to this day, I remember like my father telling me, regardless of whatever store we went into, 
we, he would always quiz us to make sure we knew where the emergency exits were. So like we were in Brooklyn being in Sears and he would stop us and say, if all the lights went out, where's the fire exit? And we would always have to like, or if you checked into a hotel, he would, he would make us count the doors of the hotel room doors to where the emergency exit was, the staircase to go down. Wow. So that at night or in the fire, when you couldn't see where the emergency exit, you could run your hand along the wall and count how many doors to that door for the emergency exit was. You knew it was 10 doors down. Right. Like these, this is kind of like real world environmental stuff that, you know, in an emergency is important. Yeah. And there's, and there's this kind of like thing where it's important, but you can't, let it rule your life also. Right. You know, there's, you know, so you got to find, kind of find this balance. Yeah. 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 It's a great topic. And I, I like, I like your takes on it. I think we have a very similar approach to this. Um, and I think part of that also has to do with growing up and, and living in a place like New York city, you know, uh, that right. perhaps people who, you know, grow up in much calmer places, like say Connecticut, <laughs> maybe they right, don't sure. have it, but I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is, but you know, every every time I go into a restaurant, I always look like where am I sitting, you know, where's the door, the back door. I always and I always kind of take a look around. One of my cousins is a Metro Dade uh, police detective, and from very early age, he taught me a lot about the kind of things that they did, and you know, just kind of like being aware and what to look for. And so I, I always have kind of I'm walking down the street, and I'm always looking like. You know, I'm always aware of which crosswalk light is changing. Uh, you know, in case like you need to dash, I'm going to go this way. Uh, I'm always like, you know, watching out for stuff. And, and so I think that the part of awareness has partially to do with where you grow up and how important that is in a day to, in your day to day life. And it's not like walking down Manhattan is a war zone, but New York is definitely the kind of city where you need to know how to take care of yourself. And, and there's really no no other way around it. Um, but yeah, that's one topic. And then it's like, well, where do you look when you're fighting and where do you like, it's actually, it's actually a very broad topic. Like I agree with you. If you're in a combat athletics, let's say sparring situation, you know, that center of chest. Yeah. Like kind of, I usually go a little bit, maybe around the throat, like a little higher in the center, like around this area, uh, between the chest and the throat, because you can see the shoulders turn, you can see things move by staring at that kind of center of mass you can still see very easily the hands moving, the elbows moving, the knees, the inflection, all that kind of stuff. You don't need to to look at any one particular thing. Uh, it's interesting. I took a, a, a motorcycle course a few years ago because uh, one of my, I probably mentioned this before, one of my best friends uh, who is a huge motorcyclist and was always trying to get me to get a motorcycle license and ride a motorcycle, he, um, he, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And it was like... It was really devastating to me because we were very close and and uh it's interesting because he was a few years older than me but now i'm older than he was when he passed and so the, you kind of think about stuff like that it's weird um and he was so adamant that i you know uh, he's like oh sifu you're gonna you're gonna love riding a motorcycle it's so free and everything and i'm like yeah i'm worried about getting injured and then i can't tea i'm always like you know like the the old man with you know uh sure. common sense chiming in oh i can't fall off a motorcycle i won't be able to teach and so after he passed away 
I kind of told myself, well, well, that's it. I will certainly never, ever get on a motorcycle, given that, you know, he was one of the best motorcycle riders they were. He would go to the track and he was able to like, you know, do all the stuff with down on the knee. And like he was a very high level motorcycle guy. He wasn't a hack. And he was broadsided by a taxi on 34th Street. Uh-huh. There's really nothing you can do about it, right? And so uh, I remember then, like, I always had a bit of a fear of motorcycles. Uh, but then I thought, you know, f- for Klaus, I don't want him to think that I live my life in fear because of his passing, right? So a couple of years ago, I went and I took the motorcycle safety course. And I was honestly scared to death of getting on a motorcycle after what had happened. And But I'm like, I have to do it. So I, uh, I, I took the, you know, the weekend course where you learn how to ride the motorcycle, you pass the test. I actually got my motorcycle license. Not that I'll ever get on a motorcycle, but I did right. it because I felt like I needed to kind of overcome that and not live That's my wonderful. life in fear. But one of the things the uh, motorcycle instructor told me, which was really interesting because I was able to relate it to martial arts right away. One of the hardest things to do in a motorcycle is to turn at slow speed. So like when you have a little bit of momentum, you can kind of move. It's a lot like a bike. But when you're going really slow where you're just kind of like, you know, feathering the throttle a little bit and you Mm. have to like turn because they make you like turn super. You have to do these figure eights around these cones and everyone eats shit when they learn that for the first time. You either run over the cone or you, uh, uh, you know, or you drop the bike. You know, you're going really slow, so it's not a big deal, but um, it's insanely difficult. And the motorcycle coach, he said, because everyone has target fixation. That means that they look at something and then your whole mind and everything becomes drawn to it. And you get kind of almost sucked in this vortex where you can't Mm. go out. Like, you know, sometimes when students are sparring and they keep staring at the person's right leg because that person is really adept at kicking with the right leg. And then by virtue of staring at it, the other person sees they're looking and then uses other stuff to light them up. Right. Well, anyway, he said, look, when you're trying to turn the motorcycle in this really, really slow to do this figure eight around these two cones, he says, don't look at the cone. Because if you look at the cone, you will crash into it because you will get target fixation. He goes, look where you want to go, right? And so, you know, so instead of like looking down at the cone and then dumping the bike, you actually look ahead and your body tends to kind of put everything in place, right? So this idea of not fixating on any one target, but kind of having a general overview of where you want to go which is essentially your opponent's body with with some kind of limb and keeping that in a more general sense i felt had a one-to-one application as opposed to like people you know they're staring at that right hand because they're worried about it and then it's the left hand that opens it and then it's the right hand that that knocks them out right so this idea of not getting what's known as target fixation and trying to avoid that um that was really powerful so i got this great martial arts lesson uh, from a motorcycle coach on this term that I thought was really great, you know, like uh, think about the movement that you want to do, think about where you want to go, and don't fixate on any one point. So, um, yeah, so I thought, you know, it, it it may not be relevant in every single circumstance to martial arts, but there definitely is something there about you know focusing on where you want to go, right? So, um, anyway, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, you know, and yeah, I know you've mentioned your friend before on that. I that that that's actually actually really really cool that you did that in honor of him that's i like that that's that's good
Yeah, I, I, I always heard his voice because he always wanted me to do that motorcycle course so I could get yeah. a motorcycle and go next to him. And then I, uh, I I just heard his voice just knowing that even if he had passed, even if he had known he would pass away from from a motorcycle accident, he would still have wanted me to do it. He wouldn't have wanted right. me to live like f- in fear because of that. And I think, you know. Uh, yeah, it was rough. It was like it was it was it was a tough weekend, but you know, in hindsight, I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot, and uh, yeah, it's just you know, every once in a while, you have to pay homage to the people who are kind of you know part of who you are, you know, in some way. So sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I have a question for you. Yeah. I Jeet Kune Do. Mm-hmm. You said that uh, most uh, Chinese martial arts don't use the Do. Correct. As a uh, but is it so? Do is it pronounced? I, I, it's a stupid question, I guess. It is, of course, it's pronounced. It's not a stupid do, question. Do so? Do is the same word in Cantonese as it is in Japanese, meaning yes, way of. Or? Yes. So this is this is where people get really messed up. Um, so obviously, Japanese and Chinese are very different sounding. I mean, if you ever hear the two of them right. side by side, right? However. The Japanese, their original root writing system is from Chinese. It's the old Han Chinese characters. So as a result, they have a lot of things that are similar. And oddly enough, Cantonese has something similar to Japanese. Not mm. man, not Mandarin, right? So for example, you ever watch a you ever you ever watch a Japanese movie and how do they normally say yes? They go hi. Hi. Right? The in Cantonese, ver- yeah. In Cantonese, the verb to be is hai. Whereas oh. in Mandarin, it's shi. It's not even the same Chinese character, right? So it's very strange. And then the the term the the way in Cantonese is to, which is very similar to Japanese. In Mandarin, it's dao. That's why everyone is always using the damn Mandarin spell, like their Mandarin pronunciations when they're talking about Cantonese martial arts, right? Like, that's why I told you the Tao of Jeet Kune Do is nonsense because that word Tao is the same as the word Do in Jeet Kune Do. It's literally two right. different dialects. It's Mandarin and Cantonese. And I, right. I mentioned this before on the podcast. I didn't... I knew that in my mind that Tao and, you know, Tao or whatever is Do in Cantonese. But I never put that together in terms of the title of Tao of Jeet Kune Do. One, because Bruce didn't actually write that book. That is a ad hoc title they came up with later because Taoism is so cool and everything. So they just it's the Tao of everything, the Tao of motorcycle maintenance. It's all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. right. So uh, it wasn't I was in Hong Kong a number of years ago and I was in front of a bookstore and this bookstore had a few Bruce Lee books in the uh, in the storefront. And, you know, because I can read some Chinese. They had Tao Jeet Kune Do in Chinese. And when I looked at it, I read the title in Chinese and was like, oh, yeah, duh, it's the same Do. So Do is in the title twice. And in in Cantonese. Because uh, they don't go Dao of Jeet Kune Do. In Cantonese, it's Jeet Kune Do of Dao is actually kind of how they would put it. Right. And then you read it in Cantonese and it's Jeet Kune Do Ji Do. That is the name of that book in Cantonese. Jeet Kune Do Ji Do. And so the right. Do happens twice, right? And I was like, oh, duh, it's the same. And you see the same character written twice in the title and you're like, yeah, Dao sure, Do, sure. right? And so I don't know. See, these are the kind of things where I geek out like, okay, 
Bruce, who was a very proud Chinese man and very proud of his Chinese heritage, um, creates his own martial arts style, which is very almost somewhat heretical for a Chinese student to break away from their Sifu and do their own thing. But I, I feel that that's less of him being a bad Chinese guy and more of him being very American in certain ways, right? Right, right, uh, so, right. So, but why did Bruce decide to use Dou? I mean, clearly, Tit Kune Do is a philosophy because in 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 Japanese martial arts, you know, you know that jujitsu and judo, it's the same Jew, right? Yeah, right. And Titsu means art, and Do means way, and judo comes from jujitsu, so it's the gentle art or the gentle way. Because Jugoro right. Kano made it, you know, although it's obviously a physical art, but there was a, phil a philosophical underpinning behind it. So he used Do. And some karate practitioners say what they do is Karate Do, the way of karate, right? Meaning right, that right. And usually whenever you hear or Aikido, right? So whenever well, right, you hear, As opposed to Aikijitsu. Exactly, right? So whenever you hear the term Do, it means that that particular line of martial arts emphasizes the philosophical aspects as well perhaps more so than others so clearly bruce in my opinion used though because jeet kune do is ultimately a philosophy right uh so so i feel that he was actually borrowing a kind of a japanese idea to make his style more philosophical rather than just making it another kung fu style so, uh, but it's extremely rare. I remember one time uh, there's an interview with Jesse Glover, and uh, Jesse Glover, you know, rest his soul. He wasn't the most dynamic speaker. I don't know if you ever listened to Jesse talk. Jesse kind of talked in this kind of like monotone, which is kind of straight like this. And I remember this interview with him, and he's like, So, Bruce, he took the term Jeet Kun from the form Jeet Kun and then Do, which is the Japanese word for way, and made Jeet Kun Do. And I remember when he said that, he said, Do is Cantonese. It's not Japanese. It just <laughs> happens to be pronounced very similar to the Japanese pronunciation, which right, adds sure. to a little bit of confusion, ad admittedly. But yeah. So, uh, Taoism, which is from that word Dao in, in Cantonese, is Do Ga, right? Which is Taoism, right? And, and and yeah, so they have that same that same word though though can also be mean literally the way like like avenue an avenue in Chinese is thai though thai meaning big the big way so six six avenue is you know thai lok thai though right number six big avenue right it's the same though right so um, yeah interesting that's that your that's your Cantonese lesson for today. Though is the same in both Cantonese. Well, I, I I think Japanese might have a slight different inflection, whereas the in Cantonese they say though it's a little lower. Maybe in Japanese it's a higher pitch or something. But clearly it's 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 from the same root. So yeah, yeah. There you go. Nice, nice. And what what's the T-shirt we have to get made up? The T-shirt. Uh, well, oh, that we from that live stream, right? Somebody said yeah. something like. I'm here for it was something to the effect of like they're there for you, but like not for, not the other guy or something like that. But I forget exactly how they put it. We have to go back and look at the comments on that stream. So thank you to everyone who listened to the uh, my Jeet Kundo dialogues with uh, Sifu Dwight Woods. It was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people chimed in. People seem to really like it. I definitely had a good time doing that. I also recently did another podcast uh, called Talking Fists, which I think you have also done as well, right? 
Yes, um, I did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I did that one as well. And uh, yeah, so uh, you guys can look forward to that. I had a lot of fun with that. Um, also, just want to plug something real quick uh, for people who are interested in learning the Siunam Tao form or the Chumkyu form. Uh, last month, I did uh, two live uh, tutorials on Zoom, one for the Siunam Tao and one for the Chumkyu. And each of them, uh, I do the form, I do some theory, history, details, and I go through the entire form step by step. Uh, for people who didn't have a chance to see it uh, uh, live, um, you can actually now purchase the tutorials. Uh, we have one for the uh, Siunam Tao and one for the Chumkyu. And if you guys want to get it, uh, the Chumkyu one, I think, is about 45 minutes and the Siunam Tao one's about an hour. Uh, you can go to cdwt.com and uh, purchase those on our online shop. Uh, I, I think people really like it so there's a lot of information on there especially if you come from the wt line but even if you don't come from the wt line there's a lot of stuff in there that i think you would find very helpful lots of uh, i explain a lot of misconceptions about the forms and things like that so cdwt.com for those uh Sunum Tao and chumkyu tutorials so anyway just gonna plug that all right folks alex great seeing you buddy and we'll uh, see you next man. week all right take bye-bye. care guys bye-bye bye-bye thank you for listening to our latest episode Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!